Genesis 21, we see a lifelong dream and desire and prayer of Abraham finally being answered. And again, it wasn't just one week of praying or one month or one year. It was 25 years of praying and desiring for the Lord to give him a son. 25 years that the Lord had promised him a son from him, from Sarah. And it seemed like the prayer just wasn't answered. And what we see throughout the life of Abraham is every time he would wait on the Lord and be refreshed in the Lord, he'd be peaceful He'd be joyful. He would be at ease. But every time he would try to do things in his own flesh, every time he would try to receive the promise by his own work or own actions, it would lead to some pretty rough consequences, some pretty difficult situations. We also looked at last time we were together, chapter 20, and how Abraham, he fell royally once again. He threw his wife under the bus. He said, hey, honey, I got to protect my life. So, hey, you go and marry that other guy. You go and marry that other Abimelech. Really willing to forego the promise of the Lord. Willing to give it all up. And yet here we see in Genesis 21, the Lord doesn't punish him. The Lord doesn't get rid of him. We see in Genesis 21, the Lord doesn't answer the blessing or the promise because of the work of Abraham. But just like in our lives, many times it's in spite of us that the Lord answers our prayers. In spite of us that the Lord is faithful even when we are faithless. So let's look at verse 1 through 4. It says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which the Lord had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Again, the Lord is fulfilling this promise to Abraham in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. You can just write that down. Paul tells us if we are faithless, more when we are faithless, man, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Again, just a few moments earlier, a few seasons in life, a few months earlier, Abraham was willing to give it all up. Abraham was willing to give up the promise in order to protect his own life. And yet the Lord is still answering the promise. The Lord is still answering the prayer. In Proverbs chapter 30, you can just write down this one. Verse 16, it tells us the grave, the barren womb, the earth. And the fire never says enough. It never says enough. And if you've been in a difficult season in life where, man, you're desiring a child and you just haven't been able to, it's a exhausting, an exhausting season in life. And there's always that desire there, that want there. And here we see Sarah and Abraham seeing one of the biggest promises ever come into fruition. One of the biggest answered prayers ever finally being answered. And yet... Their lives aren't over. There's still so much more that the Lord wants to do. And for us, many times, we can only look at our one goal or our one promise. And we think once we receive it, we're going to hit some sort of nirvana where everything's going to be perfect or everything's going to be fine. That desire to one day get married, that desire to one day have that kid, 
that desire, man, once I go to Hawaii, then my life will be complete, right? Whatever it may be. Once I retire, everything will be perfect and everything will be fine. And once we get to those seasons in life, we hit the sad realization that we're still not satisfied. There is still more to life. And the only prayer that is answered that will really satisfy us is when the Lord finally answers our prayer, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's the only thing that's going to satisfy us in this life, family. So for us, maybe there's been a prayer that we were praying and we're still praying. Hey, keep praying that prayer. But once the Lord answers it, don't think that your life is done and now you can go into cruise control. There's so much more that the Lord had for Sarah and for Abraham. And we're going to see it even here and now. Abraham, he calls his son Isaac. He circumcised him on the eighth day. And we see that Abraham, he didn't continue in his downward spiral of disobedience. He made a mistake. He ate dirt. He fell down with Abimelech. He threw his wife under the bus. He lied. He connived. And yet when the Lord called him on it, man, he learned from it. And he grew from it. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 9, we see some of the commandments the Lord had given to Abraham years and years before. Genesis chapter 17, verse 19, it tells us, But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly, and he will become a father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. Again, the Lord commanded Abraham to call the son Isaac. Not Abraham Jr., not anything other than Isaac. And we see him honoring that, being obedient to that. We also see him answering the Lord's call and covenant in Genesis 17, verse 9 through 12 of circumcision. It tells us, God said further to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and between you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. We see Abraham holding up his part of the deal. I don't know if you've ever been there. You didn't study for the test. You know if you don't pass this test, you're going to fail the class, and you just cry out to God, Lord, please, right? Lord, please help me pass this test. And God, I promise I'm never going to do this again, right? I will never do this again. I will start going to church. I'm going to start serving in Sunday school. I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. But do we hold our end of the deal? Lord, I blew it in my marriage once again. Lord, I promise if you hold this together from here on out, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to get right. I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. Lord, I'm tasting of the consequences of my sin. Lord, please don't let me go to prison. Don't let me go to jail. Don't let me get fired. And God, if you answer my prayer, I promise I'm going to change. And may we be like Abraham. May we hold our end of the deal. The covenant which God makes with Abraham. And all throughout scripture, there's a covenant for us. God promises to 
adopt us, to bring us into his family. He promises to give us a perfect love. He promises to give us salvation. He promises to give us heaven. But there's some stuff we have to do in this covenant as well. The Lord tells Abraham to name him Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham, when he first heard of it, he laughed for joy. In Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. Lord, how in the world are you going to do this? A 90-year-old man is going to have a kid and he's cracking up in joy. Saying, God, how in the world are you going to do this? How is this going to work out, right? Am I going to have to light certain candles and give Sarah a certain massage, right? At this age, is this really going to work? Is this really going to happen? Is this really going to go down? And he's laughing for joy of the promise that God has for him. In Genesis 18, verse 12, Sarah laughed as well, but she laughed within herself. She laughed with distrust towards God. She laughed with a lack of confidence to the Lord. It was a scoffing. It was a mocking. Yeah, right. Me get pregnant. Me have intimacy with Abraham at this age. When pigs fly. Yeah, sure, Lord, right? That was Sarah's laugh and scoff. In Genesis 21 verse 9, Ishmael, he laughed at Isaac, making fun of him. And he's laughing at Isaac as well, mocking him. And the Lord, he had so much in store for Isaac. And Isaac, he's a picture for us of Jesus Christ. He's a picture of us in the Old Testament of Jesus. Both of them were specially promised sons to Abraham and Sarah. They were promised Isaac for 25 years. For Mary and Joseph, they were promised Jesus, the Messiah of their people and of the whole world. They were both born after a period of delay. The Lord didn't answer it right away. They both had to wait a while, 25 years, only getting older, only seeing more wrinkles, only feeling more the pain and saying, Lord, am I really going to have a kid in my old age? And the same is true for Joseph and for Mary. Both births occurred at God's appointed time. It wasn't in Sarah's timing wasn't in Abraham's timing. We know that Joseph and Mary, they were freaking out. Why couldn't this happen after our marriage was done and solidified? Why do we have to go through all of this outside bitterness and hatred towards us? The Pharisees, they would make fun of Jesus. They would say, hey, you weren't even born when both of your parents were married, right? He has a son outside of marriage. But it was all done in God's appointed time. Both births, they were miraculous, For Sarah, it's a 90-year-old woman giving birth. For Mary, it's a young virgin woman being able to give birth to the Messiah. And finally, both births were accompanied by joy. And family, whenever we allow the Lord to do something in our lives, it brings forth joy. It doesn't bring forth that bitterness or that shame. It doesn't bring forth that anger and problems. It brings forth joy. And we see that all throughout Abraham's life, when he gets Ishmael through his flesh, through his working, through his conniving, it is nonstop friction and problems with his marriage, with his family, with his kids. But through Isaac, we're going to see so much blessing and promise and joy in Abraham and Sarah. In verse 5 through 7, we see a change and a difference in Sarah who used to scoff at God in this promise, now she's filled with joy and laughter because of it. Verse 5, 
Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Again, if this would happen today, it would be on the tabloids. None of us would believe it. Couple in nursing home, give birth to newborn baby son, right? What in the world? What is going on there? This is not real. This is weird. That has to be fake next to the woman that gave birth to alien twins or whatever it is, right? But we're told and promised a great scripture for us to remember. Let's turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. And man, maybe you're going through difficulty. Maybe you're doing all the right things. But it's just more and more difficulty, more bitterness, more hardness. Maybe you've been praying that prayer for years and years. It's a great reminder for us. Verse 8 and 9, Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Family, the Lord's perspective and everything is just way above our pay grade. It's way above our pay grade. We need to trust in Him. We need to rely on Him. When things don't make sense, when things aren't happening as we think they should happen, Just need to fall on the Lord. Just need to trust in him more and more. Again, Sarah, she goes from scoffing at God to now having joy. Almost in a sense being able to laugh at herself. Filled with joy towards the Lord. The other thing we see here is after 25 years, we don't see bitterness in Abraham. We don't see anger in Sarah. Lord, why did you take so long to make this happen? We see celebration, we see joy, we see praise for God. And again, family, the reminder to us is to wait on the Lord. It's better to wait five years or 10 years or 20 years or 25 years doing things right and seeing it come to pass than to do things in our own flesh. Getting out there, doing things on our own, finally getting what we want, and then there's just a trail of blood and problems and sin. May we wait on the Lord. God's timing, it is perfect, family. God's timing is always perfect. May we trust in him and not try to take things into our own hands. We go back to Genesis 21. And now verse 8 through 10, we begin to see some difficulties in the life of Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael and in Hagar in their family dynamic. Verse 8 It tells us the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking him. And therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And family, just because the Lord still gives us blessings and promises in spite of our sin, it does not mean he's going to wipe away all the consequences of our sins. And sometimes we hate that. Sometimes we shake our fist at God saying, Lord, why am I reaping the consequences of all my sins for the last 10 years? Right? We don't say it in that language. We just say, Lord, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is my marriage so hard? Why are my kids not being obedient to me? Why am I going nowhere in my life? And God would only drop down like a little godly mirror, right? 
It's because of you. It's because of me. That's why all these difficulties are happening because you're not waiting on me. Because you're not sowing to the spirit. You're sowing in the flesh. And now there's consequences. And now Abraham's going to have to deal with the consequences of his sin. David, the Lord forgave him for his sin with Bathsheba. But there was still consequences to it. And he didn't shake his fist at God. He took it. He said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve far worse. Lord, I'll take the consequences. And family, may we do the same. May we not shake our fist at God when we're simply reaping what we have sown. May we own it. May we say, Lord, I deserve far worse. Lord, I deserve so much worse. And yet you're gracious, you're loving, and you're willing to forgive me. We can turn to Galatians chapter 5. Paul, he draws a picture for us of the difference between Isaac and Ishmael and what Abraham had to deal with. And we as believers today, we're like Abraham. And we too are going to have to deal with the Isaac and the Ishmael in our lives. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 29, it reads, But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. Isaac was the son of the spirit. Again, a miracle, God's doing, God's promises, God's blessing. Ishmael was the son of the flesh. Abraham's doing, Sarah's doing, they're conniving, they're getting out of God's plan for marriage and family and sexual intimacy. And now Abraham's having to deal with it, right? He sees them fighting. Ishmael's like 17 years old at this point. He's mocking and making fun of three-year-old Isaac. It's kind of grimy, kind of messed up, right? If you're here and you're 17, don't be making fun of the little kids. Your dad may have to throw you out of the house. But uh, we'll look at that later. And Galatians chapter 5, hopefully you're there. The Lord gives us some extreme precautions and prescriptions for us dealing with this son of the flesh. And we need to ask ourselves today, Lord, am I being obedient to what you say I should do? to the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 it tells us, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We can jump down to verse 25. It tells us, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. Family inside each and every one of us, there's a battle going on. Just like with Ishmael and Isaac, a battle between our flesh and between our spirit. And we deal with this battle till the day we go home to be with the Lord. It's a battle for all of our mortality. All of the years we're here in this earth. Our flesh, simply put, is our human nature. That's what the flesh is. It's our human nature. And contrary to what the world would tell us or psychology would tell us, our human nature is not inherently good. Our human nature is bad, it is evil, it is sinful. So often it's our fear and our emotion 
that drives us, that drives our decision-making. It's our need and desire for instant gratification, the need and desire to go down the path of least resistance. And this family is our flesh. And some of us may be here and say, nah, we're not inherently bad. We're good. We're good people. I challenge you, after service, ask the kiddos' workers as they deal with the little kids, hey, are those kids inherently good, right? Those little two-year-olds and three-year-olds, are they inherently good? No, right? You should know by now. They are not inherently good. If you leave them to themselves, all chaos breaks out, right? Lord of the flies is happening there in the kiddos' ministry. That's what's happening. The kids, they're fine. They're playing with a toy. There's a toy they've never seen before in their life. But all of a sudden, another kid has it. I need that thing. I've never seen it before, but I need it. And I'm willing to fight you unless you give it to me, right? We have to train them to love, to forgive. We have to train them to say please and thank you. We have to train them to be socially acceptable. We have to train them to do these things. If you leave the kids all to themselves, what would they do? They would walk around naked or have diapers filled with soil, right? They would only be eating ice cream and mac and cheese. They would be doing all sorts of chaos. And family, the same is true for us. If we don't train our flesh, if we don't feed our spirit, we will find ourselves in the same place as those little kids. We need to train our flesh. We need to feed our spirit. Because just like parents, we need to train our kids. We need to discipline them and show them the right way to go. We need to do the same in our spirit and in our flesh. We can come up for prayer. Man, I'm still doing the same sin over and over and over again. What should I do? Stop it. That's it. Right? I don't got that much more for you. But no, I need a new word. I need a new word that makes me feel better, that gives me the emotion to do it. Stop it. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill everything you love. Stop it. That's what the word tells us. Our flesh and the spirit, they are in battle one against the other until we get to heaven. Susanna Wesley, she's the mother of John Wesley, and she gives us this warning, this heed with our sin, with our flesh. She says, whatever weakens your reasoning, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God or takes away your relish for the spiritual things, in short, if anything increases the authority and the power of your flesh over your spirit, that to you becomes sin. However good it is in itself, cut it off. Cut it off. Many times our good is enemy of God's best. I was saying, hey, this isn't sinful. The Bible says I can do a little bit of it, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say marijuana. Nowhere in the Bible does it say speeding ticket. Nowhere in the Bible does it say HBO. Nowhere in the Bible does it say X, Y, or Z. Man, are we feeding our flesh or are we feeding our spirit? Charles Pope, he says, perhaps most plainly, it refers to that part of us that is alienated from God. It is the rebellious, unruly, and obstinate part of our true inner self that is operating all the time. It is the part of us that does not want to be told what to do. It is stubborn. It refuses correction and does not want to have a thing to do with God. It bristles at limits at rules. It recoils at anything that might cause it to be diminished 
or something less than the center of the universe. The flesh hates to be under authority or to have to yield to anyone other than its own wishes and desires. The flesh often desires something simply because it is forbidden. And family, this is the war that's going on inside of each and every one of us, right? The parking lot minister says, hey, can you park here? What's the first thing you think of? I want to park over there, right? The usher says, hey, can you please sit here? You say, I want to sit over there. The sign says, wet paint, don't touch. What do we do? I got to touch it, right? Like the guy in Monsters Inc., I got to touch it. I have to touch it. Then you touch it and you're like, man, I got wet paint on me, right? Or you touch it, yes, I got by this time. What is it in us that we want to rebel? Speed limit says, says 55. Where do we set the cruise control? 60, 65. Speed limit says 70. Where do we set the cruise control? 75, 80, right? We want to rebel. And we need to put this, as Christ will tell us, we need to put it to death. Because if not, it's going to put us to death. We can turn to Romans chapter 8. Great scripture for us. Such an important chapter for us to know, live by, walk by. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 15. We'll read these 10 verses together. It says, For those who are according to the flesh... They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Family, this is us. Hopefully this is us, that you once were led by your flesh. You were enslaved to it. I was enslaved to it. And whatever my flesh desired, wherever I wanted to rebel, that is exactly what I did. But once the Lord, man, allowed me to see that free gift from him, once I accepted him as my Lord, as my Savior, now we have freedom. We have freedom that we don't have to sin. Do you know that? You do not have to sin if you're a Christian, 
If you say you're going to heaven when you die, you are no longer under an obligation to sin, but we're under the obligation to be fueled and led by the Holy Spirit. That when my flesh says X, Y, or Z, when I want to rebel, when I'm angry, I can't believe they told me this, that, or the third, that we tell ourselves, no, I'm going to be obedient to God. I am going to obey the Lord. And in Romans chapter 8, what's the prescription? We need to put it to death. That's how we need to treat our flesh. We need to put it to death. It's not nice. It's not going to play nice. It's not, ay, pobrecito, que lindo, right? It's not how cute. No, family, we need to put it to death. And we're going to see in Abraham the prescription, right, what he needed to do with Ishmael, his own son of the flesh. We can go back to Genesis chapter 21, verse 11 through 13. Sarah has already told Abraham, hey, you need to get rid of Ishmael. You need to get rid of Hagar. Isaac is the only one that can be the heir that God has promised us. Verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Again, family, God's prescription for dealing with the flesh remains true today. Get rid of it. Cut it off. Don't give it any room to breathe. Don't give it any room to grow. The Lord will take care of it. If you would like, we can turn quickly to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus also gives us a prescription for how to deal with the flesh. How should I deal with sin? X, Y, or Z keeps causing me to fall, keeps causing me to stumble. Man, how should I deal with it? For Abraham, it was his own son. His own son. His own 17-year-old son. And yet the Lord said, yeah, got to get rid of them. Got to get them out of the house. In Matthew 18, verse 8 and 9, it tells us, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Family, we must be extreme in making it as difficult as possible for us to fall into sin. I'm always reminded of Ken Graves whenever I read the scripture. He makes it sound like a pirate, really. And it's better to come into heaven looking like a pirate. With an eye patch, with a hook for a hand, and with a peg for a leg. It's better to get into heaven looking like a pirate than looking like a perfectly normal person in hell for all of eternity. And guys, it's not telling us to literally cut off our body parts. There's no ministry here at Calvary, Miami, right? The slice and dice ministry, there's nothing like that here, right? A lot of pain, a lot of screaming and agony in that ministry. No, but it tells us to cut off the things that cause us to stumble. But does it tell us to just stop there? No, he says to throw it far from you. It's not enough just to cut off the hand that has caused you to sin. If you're a righty, man, you cut off that right hand. And now with the left hand, you're trying to throw that thing as far away from you as possible. 
That is how we need to treat sin. This is how we need to treat our flesh. And so often we coddle it, we protect it, we take care of it, we make excuses for our freedoms, we make justifications in our freedoms. I deserve this. I am free in Christ. I can be whoever I want to be in Jesus. But the Bible does not tell us that, guys. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, we were just there. It tells us now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. Again, family, we need to be ruthless towards our flesh and towards sin. God will take care of it. When it's done biblically and when it's done in the right heart, God will take care of it. Even if you're cutting off your own family member. We see here that Abraham, he needs to cut off his own son. His firstborn son in his old age, he needs to cut him off. Family members, physical blood, family, it is not the most important thing in the Bible. And lots of us take offense to that. Personal family is not the most important thing in the Bible. Obedience to God and scripture, this is the most important thing in the Bible. And this is the most important thing to God. And again, when we're obedient to God, you should be the best son in the world. You should be the best daughter in the world. You should be the best mom. You should be the best dad, the best husband, the best wife. But there's family members that we all have that they cause us to fall into sin. Or maybe you're that parent and you say, man, what am I going to do? They're 17 years old. They got to live their own life. Abraham, he needed to tell Ishmael, hey, you got to move out. You got to get out of here. We need to be obedient to the Lord no matter the cost, right? We have to do the same with sin. We need to say, this is going to kill me. This is going to kill my family. This is going to kill everyone I love. I cannot play with this thing or coddle with this thing. Once Abraham passes away at his burial, at his funeral, Isaac is there. But you know who's also there? Ishmael's there with him. And so often we're scared to hurt people's feelings and telling them, hey, I can't hang out with you. I can't be with you. You caused me to sin. You caused me to walk away from God. I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord. And when I'm with you, I simply can't do that. So I can't talk to you anymore. I love you. I care for you. If you want to get to know the Lord, if you want to start coming to church, hey, give me a call. But besides that, we need some distance. We're afraid to do that. But so often that's exactly what a person needs to look at their life and say, man, where am I? I'm supposed to be a Christian and yet I'm causing somebody else to fall into sin. I'm supposed to be a believer and yet I have other Christians telling me they need to take a break from me because I'm not helping them in their walk with the Lord. And they may come right to the Lord. They may come clean to the Lord, but we're so fearful of our emotions and our feelings and being liked by other people that we're not making these stands for the Lord. Abraham, he's a great example to us here. He's quick to obey the Lord even when it's difficult. We can go to Genesis 21. And for us to know, it distressed Abraham. We're not to be robots and just say, hey, I got to cut you off. It's done. It's over. Peace, right? See you later. No, there's going to be pain within us. But the Lord is willing to comfort us. And we're going to see here also, the Lord takes care of Ishmael. The Lord takes care of Hagar when we do things according to Scripture in love, in grace, in mercy. 
man, the Lord will use it to his glory. Genesis 21, verse 14, we're going to continue to see this habit in Abraham's life as he grows more and more. Genesis 21, verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. We'll see more and more often Abraham rising early in the morning. And Abraham rose early in the morning. And we see Abraham growing with the Lord. We see Abraham's quick to obey the Lord. He doesn't make more excuses or more lies. He's learning from his mistakes. He's maturing in his walk with the Lord. Right? They probably had the party. They had the festivities. Sarah sees Ishmael making fun of Isaac at three years old. They go to bed that night. They're next to each other, talking to each other. Abraham's freaking out about it. But yet the Lord speaks to him and he's quick to obey the Lord. Verse 15 through 21. Now the Lord focuses on Ishmael and on Hagar. It says, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away. For she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the lad crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So Abraham, he gives her a bottle of water. He gives her a loaf of bread and a food for the journey. The moment the water is out, she's just freaking out. She's just saying, he's going to die. We're all going to die. She puts him under a bush. She goes far away, 30 yards, 50 yards, 100 yards. And it's not Hagar who cries out to the Lord, but it's Ishmael. Ishmael is able to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord comes and speaks to Hagar, saying, hey, your son was the one crying out to me. Your son was the one who asked for me, and now I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. Verse 18, arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad. And he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and he became an archer, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. You see, family, the Lord continued to honor Abraham even through Ishmael. The Lord will bless him and keep his promise to him because he is a descendant of Abraham, promising to multiply his descendants. And lots of times we're afraid to make those cuts, those severs in our relationships with our own kids. But we need to honor the Lord and trust in the Lord. In Genesis 16, verse 10 through 11, the Lord had already promised Hagar all these things. And yet she's freaking out. It's not here like Samson where the Lord created a well out of the ground or created a well out of the jawbone. No, the well was right there in front of her. She was just freaking out at her situation. And the Lord needed to just open her eyes like, hey, there's a well right next to you. You're not going to die. You're okay. How often is that us? We're drowning. I'm going to die. And the Lord's like, no, you're okay. Just go to church, right? Just relax. Just pray. Read your Bible. Just relax. Genesis chapter 16, verse 10 and 11, the promise to Hagar. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, 
I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Again, family, the Lord, he heard Hagar. He's hearing Ishmael. May we be obedient to us. Now, verse 22 through 24, we see Abraham and Abimelech once again. Verse 22, now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and the land in which you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear it. Now, this may or may not be the same Abimelech. I think it is. Different Bible scholars think it is. For us to know if you're a student of the Bible, Abimelech is just a title. It's just a title, just like Pharaoh, just like Caesar, just like king or president or queen or even Christ. It's not first name Jesus, last name Christ, right? That is his title, that he is the Messiah. The same is true here for Abimelech. If you ever get to go to the wilderness ranch, we have Abimelech there. He's our pet alligator, and his name is Abimelech. You get to see him and say hi to him all the time. But Abimelech was able to see all the blessings in Abraham's life, in his actions, and in the Lord's providence in his life. He saw him, man, you basically lied to me, and the Lord still took care of you. The Lord spoke to me in a dream. The Lord kept me from sleeping with and marrying your wife. Now the Lord is doing all this in you. Man, I want to be a part of that. Family, do people see the Lord working in your lives? Do people see your peace, your joy? Do people see the chaos in the world that we're living in and yet you're calm, cool, and collected? Do people see that? Do people see, and it's not name it and claim it, that you have jets and Bentleys and suits and Rolexes. No. Do people see peace in your home like it's all over Psalms and Proverbs? Do people see your sons and daughters following after the Lord? Do people see the strong marriage that you have? Do people see that you're a man or woman of character and integrity? That should be happening in us because Abraham was a friend of God. And hopefully you like to take care of your friends. Hopefully you like to bless them. You like to spend time with them. And the Lord, that's how he treated Abraham. So people, even in our worst, if this is the same Abimelech, he saw Abraham at his worst and he was still able to say, God is with you in all that you do. Verse 25, but Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and he gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. And then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean which you have set by themselves? And he said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because there the two of them took an oath. So Abraham, he asked Abimelech to fix this well as a result or in exchange of their treaty. Verse 32 through 34. 
So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. For us to remember, Abimelech, he had some type of relationship with the Lord. Some of us can go to the New Testament where it tells us to not be unequally yoked. If you're about to start a new business, be careful being a Christian and starting a business with an unbeliever. When it's time for taxes or selling things or buying things, may get some friction there. But we know that Abimelech had some type of relationship with the Lord. That he was able to tell the Lord, in the integrity of my heart, I haven't done this. That God was willing to speak to Abimelech. That the Lord kept him from sinning further. So let's not just use this and say, hey, I can make a deal with everybody and anybody. No, he still had some type of relationship and walk with the Lord. Verse 33 and 34, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Family, Abraham's life. It had a lot of ups, it had a lot of downs, but we see him growing in his maturity with the Lord. He continues to set up altars, he continues to sacrifice to the Lord, he continues to wake up early in the morning and calling on the name of the Lord. Family, is this us? Are we growing with the Lord? Are we at where we're at today and we can say, yes, I'm growing with the Lord. I'm at my peak in my relationship with God. I've never sought him so much. I've never spent so much time with him. Or sadly, do we say, man, I remember those times that I used to wake up early to read the Bible, but I just haven't been doing that so often. I remember those times when I would be serving and sacrificing to the Lord, but I'm not doing that so much. I remember the times when I would go to the prayer meetings and I would just be calling out on the name of the Lord. I'm not doing that so much lately. May we repent. May we get right with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been seeking you as I should. I'm not growing. I'm not maturing. Lord, I'm going backwards, Father. Would you strengthen me? Would you fill me? And then make a plan of action. Don't just say, hey, Lord, I pray. May you do this and just, Lord, carry me and just take me to church. And Lord, carry me to not argue with my wife. And Lord, carry me to wake up early. No, we pray, we repent, but then we need to be practical. We need to be obedient to what he's done. And don't let age be an excuse to not seek the Lord as much as you used to. Again, I hope no married couple has done this, but you're like, honey, Amanda, we've been married 10 years, 20 years. You know how much I love you. I'm not going to tell you that anymore. I'm not going to hang out with you so much. I'm going to go and do my own thing. I'm going to become a professional fisherman now. Now it's my time, right? And we do that with the Lord. Lord, in my teens, Lord, I gave you everything I had. But, Lord, now I'm married. Lord, in my 20s, I gave you everything I had. But, Lord, now I'm married. Now I have kids. Lord, now I'm retired. I can't go back to kiddos ministry. Lord, I, you know how much I love you, God. But it's a new season. It's my fishing season. God, what is going on? Right? Nothing against fishing. I enjoy fishing. Uh, but, man, for us to seek the Lord, to continue to mature and grow as God. Abraham is 100 years old. And he's still wanting to seek God more. He's 100 years old and he's still fighting to wake up early, to call on the name of the Lord. When it says there that he planted that tamarisk tree or planted that grove, many Bible scholars believe that he began to worship and praise the Lord publicly. And then he would even invite other people from the pagan land to come and worship with him. Again, family, is that us? Are we bringing other people into the fold of God? 
Or are we pushing them away? Jesus warns us, those who gather and those who scatter, may we be those who gather.